The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Sooner or later, the scoreboard is going to show it. There's no doubt in my mind how much progress we've made. Um, we just need to turn it into to wins. And uh, that, that game Saturday was as frustrating a one as I've had here because uh, we, we had opportunities to, to be in control of that game. Uh, we could have won the game, maybe even should have won the game. Um, you know, that wasn't like playing some other games where I felt we were just outmatched talent-wise. We weren't in that game. And... Um, the guys are impatient, just like I'm impatient to, to get this changed. And um, I keep saying it, but once it turns, it's going to turn in a big way. And uh, we need to ha- have that happen uh, soon. Scott Frost continues to say he has no doubt the Huskers are close to turning a corner. But there's as much doubt right now in Husker Nation as at any point since perhaps 2018. You could say Lincoln is, is indeed deep in doubt. Do you still believe Frost when he says that? We'll take a look at that and more as we get ready for Penn State, Nebraska. You're listening to the IED Preview Podcast. I'm Hale Varsity Managing Editor, Brian Vogel, and let's talk some football. So to kick off the first half here, we've got winless Penn State visits winless Nebraska for the Huskers home opener in November in an empty stadium. Just the way we all imagined it back in February, right? Let's get into what those who project things had to say about this game. Circus Sports in Las Vegas opened the line at Penn State minus four. I thought that felt a little bit low. I could have seen Penn State being a, say, six, six and a half point favorite uh, on the opening line, but the betting public has has proven me wrong, uh, which isn't that unusual. So midweek, this game was down to three and a half or three in, in favor of Penn State. The power rankings are where things get really interesting, however. Uh, SP Plus, a number we look at each week on the show, uh, would have a line on this game of about Penn State minus six. The Nittany Lions rank 14th in the latest ratings. Nebraska ranks 34th. If that latter ranking alone set off any alarm bells for you, congrats, you and I should be best friends. Um, I love kind of tracking the the week to week progression in, in some of these rankings. So what that means, uh, if if you've been paying close attention, is that Nebraska lost twenty one thirteen to Northwestern, and its ranking in SP plus did indeed improve. The Huskers were were forty second entering Evanston last week, and are thirty fourth this week. That's one spot behind the Wildcats, which dropped from thirtieth to thirty three despite winning. How does that happen? I'm making some informed guesses here. SP plus is, is Bill Connolly's formula. Like I don't see the numbers behind it, the numbers that go into that. Um, but I feel like I have at least a, a working sense of what does well there and, and, and what doesn't. So if you looked at this, you could, if you looked at this game from a purely statistical standpoint, You could say after it was over that Nebraska exceeded what you'd expect against a strong Northwestern defense. We heard that from a couple of coaches and players this week. Like, hey, this might be about as good a defense as we play. 
And that wouldn't be a surprise. Like that's what Northwestern is. That's what Northwestern does. But Nebraska basically exceeded what you would expect for an average team against a defense as accomplished as that. Nebraska had 28 first downs to, to Northwestern's 14 since 2000. Teams that do that, do exactly that, 28 to 14, double them up on, on first downs, are 33 and 5. Nebraska created eight scoring opportunities, as we're all painfully aware at this point, and came away with 13 points. That's highly improbable. The game itself doesn't really work that way, the game of football. With those numbers, it's harder to only score 13 points than it is to score more. The problem for Nebraska right now is that it has a bunch of those losses under Frost. Games where they snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. It's maddening if you're a fan, or a coach for that matter, but it's also the greatest support for Frost's just-around-the-quarters belief. And that's that's been pretty consistent. <laughs> it wasn't so much a part of 2018 because everybody gets a pass in year one and it's just show some progress. But really, since the start of last year, that's kind of been a consistent message that we've heard from, from the head man at Nebraska. Nebraska's 3-10 and in one-score games. Frost has also said at, at various times some variation of, when this turns, it'll turn in a big way. There's zero doubt in my mind that part of the equation here will be true. Nebraska continues to play about 80% of the game, particularly on offense. Uh, defense has been a little bit more of a mixed bag, but offensively, Nebraska will play about 80% of the game pretty well. But it fails in just the right combos in the other 20% to come away with losses. How do you fix that part of it? That's the question more and more people are asking. Not if it turns or not when it turns, how big will the gains be? Um, I, I think there's there's some strong arguments to be said that, yes, uh, Nebraska does enough well that if they stop whatever has plagued it over the past, particularly 14 games, uh, things could go really, really well and, and things could improve in a hurry. But the question I see more and more often from people right now, um, and that, that Northwestern loss was disappointing on multiple fronts, uh, is, is, is will this thing turn? That one's tougher to answer. It, it might be a psychological question as much as anything. Uh, we could spend hours on that. You could write books about that. And it, it, it's hard. I mean, it, it's one of those where you're either in or you're out. A lot of it comes down to belief. Uh, beyond that, it might come down to, to taking Scott Frost and the other coaches on the staff at their word. Like if they really do feel they're close, great. Um, how do you go from being close to kind of over, over the, over the hump there? And, and that's something Nebraska is still figuring out, but to, to get this, I guess, more back on track to stop talking about the past and, and more about what's ahead. Let, let's turn more closely to, to Penn state and Nebraska. We'll start with three players to watch for the Nittany Lions. Still plenty of talent on this team, though. If you are making this three players to watch list uh, back at the start of the year, all three of those players <laughs> might not be available for, for Penn State on Saturday because you probably, well, you certainly would have put freak linebacker Micah Parsons, who, who Husker fans remember well, on that list. Running back Noah Kane might have been there, um, but he got injured in the, the lead up to the season and is out. 
their insurance plan for, for not having Kane, uh, also a running back, Journey Brown, also is out with an undisclosed injury. He hasn't been ruled out for, for the rest of the season, but he hasn't played since since week one. Not to worry, though. I mean, James Franklin has done a great job of recruiting. Penn State is consistently, over the last four or five years, the, the second best recruiter in the Big Ten behind Penn State. And there's, there's still enough to worry about here. You can start with wide receiver Jahan Dotson, number five. Uh, it's probably probably still the Nittany Lions' most dangerous weapon. He had that insane one-handed catch that you probably saw against Ohio State, one of the better catches of the year, in, in my opinion. He's second in the Big Ten at 120 yards per game and most notably is averaging 17 yards per catch. So Nebraska's going to have to have an answer for that. He's just, he's, he's a dangerous player. Um, Nebraska would love to have a guy like that at the moment. Uh, we'll get into that stuff a little bit later, but number two on my lot, my list for Penn state is, is defensive end Jason Owe. He, he's only a sophomore, um, doesn't have a sack yet though. He's been, he's been really close a, a number of times through, through the Nittany Lions first three games. He's kind of their key disruptor. Uh, on defense, um, on a defense that's missing Parsons quite a bit, as as most any defense would. But look for him to to provide some pass rush. Whether or not he gets home or not isn't truly a measure of of how effective he's he's being in a game. Uh, but James Franklin was pretty pretty effusive of of how he played against Maryland, and there weren't a ton of Lions who who played that great in in that game. Last on my list. Uh, for, for Penn State is tight end Pat Fryermuth. Probably know his name well. He's probably going to be a, a first-round pick. Um, just a kind of classic tight end, but in the, the new school mode. You know, they'll put him in line. They'll put him at H-back. Pretty dangerous. He, he's a matchup problem for most defenses. Penn State will use him a lot. He leads the Big Ten tight ends, at least, with, with 16 receptions and you've got to account for him. Um, Nebraska has, has done an okay job against the pass so far, but this is probably their biggest challenge yet outside of Ohio state. So, so that makes it certainly, I guess, bigger, a bigger challenge than, than Northwestern was in terms of matching up against the pass for Nebraska in this game. I, I honestly had a harder time kind of landing on my, my three key players, than, than in previous weeks. Uh, I, I try not to do this, but number one, we'll put quarterback Adrian McCaffrey. No, that's that's not a mistake. At, at, at the time of recording, and, and you might know more by the time you listen to this uh, in the lead up to Saturday, but I, I, I don't know which guy's going to play. Um, you, could, you could make a pretty good argument for either of them. I know popular sentiment is on Luke McCaffrey's side as it always seems to be with the the backup quarterback, though there there are reasons and numbers you can point to for, for making that argument. I'd be surprised if we didn't see at least a little bit of, of both guys there. Maybe that means who starts and who doesn't. Doesn't matter all that much, but we'll get into this a little bit more in the, the second half of the show. But NU has to get more from its passing game. That plain and simple. Um, both, both Martinez and McCaffrey are accomplished and dangerous runners. 
You could call that maybe a wash. I think what you're really looking at here is who can give you more in the passing game, who can operate the offense the way that Coach Frost and the rest of the staff want it to be operated. And we'll see. That was still playing itself out uh, as, as, as I recorded this midweek. Number two on my list, um, this one feels a little bit perhaps premature too, but there's, there's a reason for it. I have, I have wide receiver Marcus Fleming. Was last week's game against Northwestern the start of something for him? The, the true freshman wide receiver from Florida, he had five catches for 75 yards on, on eight targets. Same number of targets that Wandale Robinson got, which is perhaps not ideal for, for most Husker fans. And again, we kind of heard the same thing from Nebraska's coaching staff they're working on that part of it. They, they agree. And they know that that Robinson needs to send the, see the ball more. He was at halftime of this game last week, the, the Northwestern game, two of the, the three key players I'd identified in the preview going into that one, Luke Reimer linebacker and miles farmer safety were great. Um, Wandale Robinson was kind of TBD for me at, at that point. And it didn't really get better from there, but I think Nebraska's in a spot where Fleming Fleming showed that you can insert him into a Big Ten game, and he can make some plays. It wasn't anything too over the top. It wasn't like, oh, he nearly won the game by himself. Nothing like that. But he showed he's a reliable option. We know there's still a struggle going on, um, based on coaches' comments about, well, if we put these young guys out there. We're not fully capable of running everything we want to run. But at 0-2, having just lost to a Northwestern team that Nebraska could have beaten. Like it's, it's not to take anything away from the Wildcats. They're a good team. Are they 3-0 and good at this point? Probably not. But this is kind of what they do. They win close, um, and they challenge you in a lot of very football-specific ways. So... Let's see what happens with Fleming. Let's see what happens with some other young receivers. Uh, Nebraska kind of opened up competition this week, and we'll see if there's any change on Saturday. Last but certainly not least on my list is, and I could have gone a couple of ways here with this third pick as well, is defensive end Ty Robinson. Everyone sees his talent. Um, but my question going he, going into this game is, is he ready for an I'm here moment. Not in, not in, I'm coming. Um, you, you see what this is going to be, uh, type of game, but nope, this is it. And everything changes from here. There's lots of anxiety in Penn state circles around their offensive line at the moment. Robinson's had a tackle for loss in, in each of Nebraska's two games, no sacks yet. Um, and, he, and he's asked to do a lot of things, but you just kind of get the sense in terms of his physical ability how imposing he is that he he's a guy you're waiting for to become one of Nebraska's best players in the, I think very near future. Um, that said I'm going with Robinson, but also special recognition to Casey Rogers, fellow defensive end who I thought played really well against Northwestern and, you know, Northwestern is a team that, that kind of puts the test to you. It's, it's not easy to play well against those guys. So when you do, it says something. That brings us to halftime of the show, where I'll turn it over to Rusty Dawkins for Saturday's weather report. You can find Rusty on Twitter at HuskerWeather. 
and look for his latest info. And it seems like it could be could be a factor on Saturday on what to expect weather-wise at HaleVarsity.com, at HaleVarsity on Twitter, basically everywhere you find us. Hi there, everyone. This is meteorologist Rusty Dawkins with Hale Varsity for the I-80 Preview Podcast, talking about the Penn State game on Saturday, the home opener, which usually for the home opener, we're usually concerned about heat and humidity. Well, not this year. Uh, we're going to see a, a day that's pretty mild, though, just not hot and humid like it would be in August or early September. Now, we are going to be on the edge of an exiting high-pressure system on Saturday. What does that mean? It means a south wind. And it's not going to be a lot of wind, but when you get a wind out of the south in November, it usually means we see warmer-than-average temperatures. Our average high is right around 50 for this time of year, and I think we'll push a little bit past that. Now, there are going to be a few showers to our southeast associate, associated with a different system, that's early Saturday, and some of those may linger near the Lincoln area, but I think uh, right now we'll probably just see more clouds out of this than rainfall, but it's a small chance, so I'll, I'll just mention it. And then after that system moves to the east, we'll start to see more sunshine as the day wears on. Eventually, it'll be partly cloudy and pretty mild for Saturday in Lincoln. So here's your hour-by-hour hour forecast at kickoff, 11 a.m., that small rain chance, otherwise partly to mostly cloudy, temperatures generally in the upper 40s, and a south wind at 5 to 15 miles per hour. Then at halftime, partly cloudy skies, temperatures warming up a little bit in the lower 50s. That's about our average high, a south wind at 10 to 20 miles per hour. So we could see a little bit of an issue if there's the passing game or the kicking game uh, with that south wind at 10 to 20 miles per hour. Then by the end of the game, partly cloudy skies, relatively mild. Temperatures in the middle 50s with that south wind again at 10 to 20 miles per hour. For updated information on the forecast, you can always check on uh, hailvarsity.com or my Twitter accounts, RustyWX and Husker Weather. All right, let's kick off the second half here with a, a quick, big picture college football in general talk. You do this strange season was going to be a problem for some team that was set up to win now. It, it, it just was like no spring football practice schedules all jacked. You don't even know when your season's going to start. If you're in the big 10, at least like there were teams that were set up to a lot of returning production. Most of our major pieces are back. The rankings reflect that and we're ready to take the jump. And just by the nature of in a normal year, maybe all that makes sense, but in an abnormal year, somebody's going to suffer the consequences through three weeks, you you could argue and make a pretty strong argument that that Penn State might be at the top of that list, uh, regardless of what teams are on it. Nittany Lions were a preseason top five team before the pandemic pushed pause on on everything for for lack of a better term. They had the best defender maybe in the game of college football for for twenty twenty in, in Micah Parsons, a fleet of talented running backs, two of which are injured at the moment. And, and a solid run of recruiting to back up whatever losses they had in, in terms of returning experience. Like Penn State's recruited well. Like there, there was nothing that felt out of line with lofty expectations for this team. And it was it was top five in in a lot of preseason power rankings. It was thought that I believe that game was originally scheduled for Halloween at Penn State. So Pack Stadium almost certainly would have been a night game, wide out. Like, if the Nittany Lions take care of Ohio State in that game, all of a sudden they've kind of controlled their own destiny in the Big Ten. Here they are coming to Lincoln at, at 0-3. I wouldn't get too caught up in, in the record. There are some surprising issues early. 
But this is still a dangerous team and a hungry one, I think, after playing about as poorly as you can against Maryland. That's the result that doesn't make any sense. Okay, Indiana. Indiana was a little bit fortunate to win that that season opener uh, against Penn State. And I'm not even talking about the the big call at the end on the two-point conversion where they ruled Michael Penix Jr., Indiana's quarterback, in. Like Penn State kind of dominated that game and, and lost, which which happens sometimes. Certainly know that as as Nebraska fans of a relatively recent vintage. Um, you can you can own the the box score and still come up losers way more than you ever thought was even possible. But that Maryland game is, is the one that doesn't add up. Uh, the Terps, to be completely honest, I left the, I left the Terrapins for dead after the week one loss to, to Northwestern since then they've come back and beat Minnesota and Penn state as underdogs. Um, they, they've got a quarterback. The Maryland's always had good skill talent and, and that was kind of on display last week in, in Penn State's loss. Uh, the, the, the Terps got a, a handful of, of long scoring plays. And any time you can do that and a couple other things we'll get into here shortly, you're going to be in the game. Let's get into the kind of three-point plan here for Nebraska. How do the Huskers win this game? One of these teams is coming out of here with a win, the first win of 2020 which ones is going to be and what does what has to happen for it to be Nebraska. I'll start with the the defensive line. Um, and I think it has to win on two fronts on Saturday. Penn State returned four or five starters up front offensively, but it's been shuffling through combos looking for one that works of late. The run game is a real struggle at the moment for for Penn State, which you might expect having lost two of their while they're two best running backs, though, though Devin Ford, the guy who's taking the bulk of the carries lately, is is no slouch either. He's a four-star prospect. But for for whatever reason, it, it hasn't totally worked out like, like Penn State would like it to. Quarterback Sean Clifford leads the team in carries and yards, which isn't how this is meant to work. He's not that, that kind of runner. He's a little bit like Peyton Ramsey last week for, for Northwestern. Like he can, he can hurt a defense that way, but you're, you're not drawing it up. So, so that's the case. Penn state's 39.4% success rate on rushes ranks 73rd last 73rd nationally. Um, it's a little bit above average in explosive rushes at 15.7%, which is 41st. So, so there you're seeing that talent thing again. Down to down, Penn State's struggling in the run game. Doesn't seem to have a ton figured out. It's still got good enough players to to gash a defense um, if given the opportunity. So so Nebraska's going to have to prepare for that part of it. But the reason this is a, a two-front war is that Penn State's also struggling, per, perhaps more than the run game, to, to protect Clifford in the passing game. The, the Nittany Lions have allowed 13 sacks through three games, and that includes seven last week against Maryland. If you're looking for a counting stat to keep an eye on on Saturday, make it sacks. James Franklin's 34-21 and 21 overall at Penn State. That's a 620 winning percentage. But he's 9-15, uh, 0.375 winning percentage, 
when Penn State allows four-plus sacks. And that's exactly what they've allowed in losses since, since the start of the 2018 season. And it's two in wins. So you kind of got to double them up. It's not what those sacks actually produce because that's, that's always changing. You know, there are, there are sacks you can live with and sacks that decide a game, but it's more about what it represents. Um, how well is Penn state protecting? How active is the defense? So if you're, if you're looking for kind of a, a barometer type number, I, I think that's a pretty good place to start. If Nebraska starts getting close to, to four sacks, it would be a little bit of a surprise though. Honestly, <laughs> with, with what we've seen over the past two and a half seasons, well, not even two and a half, 2.25 seasons from Nebraska is don't be surprised if Nebraska is doing a lot of things well and still trailing on the scoreboard, but that's beside the point. Um, if Nebraska is getting close to four in that number, if they're getting to the passer, even if they aren't ending in sacks, even if it's clear that they're influencing the play, uh, I would say the defensive line is probably having a pretty good day and that's probably a pretty good thing for Nebraska overall. Second on the list, Nebraska has to find a passing game. And I, like, I think everybody knows that at this point, but the numbers are still kind of shocking when you dig into them. Through two games this year, Nebraska has the second best rushing success rate in the country, 55.7% success. It's doing that despite the lack of much efficiency at all in the passing game. When NU is on schedule, and can run or create simple passing scenarios. It's great. 61.3% success rate on, on standard downs, which is third nationally. Standard downs are the downs when you're on schedule. So every first down, no matter the distance, you get backed up by a first down holding pinning, first and 20, still a standard down. Um, and he's great in those in those scenarios. Well, first and first and twenty is a bit of a an, an, an outlier, but say the classic first and ten. So if you have a success on a standard down, most likely your your down after that is also going to be a standard down. And and on and on you go. The perfect football game offensively would be you just stay in standard downs all the time. Um Nebraska has has struggled to do that. Well, it hasn't struggled to do that, but the the struggle has been underscored when it hasn't been there. So, getting to pa- get into passing downs when when Nebraska is off schedule, and it's awful so far. The Huskers' passing down success rate is seventeen point one percent, which is one hundred nineteenth. In a normal year, like passing down success rate. Is, is lower than standard downs. They're called passing downs because the defense has a good idea of, of what you have to do, i.e. pass, but it's still like 35-ish percent. So, you know, standard down success rate might be 42, 43, 44%. Nebraska's at 17. It's, it's a huge problem. I guess the question as, as we look towards Saturday is that alone enough to make the switch at quarterback? I'm not so sure that on its own, that is the sample size on McCaffrey remains small. 
I still need to see what he can do as a passer. Like if for nothing else, other than to, to satisfy our own curiosity, it would be hugely telling to, to see McCaffrey get a start, to see him be the guy until he, he proves that he's not playing well. Um, just, just for these purposes alone. But I think this, this quote that's coming up from Scott Frost was probably the, maybe not, well, at least to me, it was the, the most telling one from that press conference here. Listen to what he had to say about Adrian Martinez against Northwestern. Um, I talked to him about it. I think there just needs to be some decisions that are made a little quicker and more efficiently. Um, and then a, a few balls that were just errant or out of bounds that uh, needed to be put on the money. Uh, but for the most part, I, I think it's just processing information quickly, getting the ball out on time where it's supposed to go uh, at a better clip and um, just eliminating the plays that are killing us on drives and uh, just a couple plays here and there that'll kill you in a game. That right there feels like it's it's probably the real key for Adrian Martinez's future as as Nebraska's quarterback. There are times, particularly over well the 2019 season and into into 2020, where it just feels like you you see the gears turning, like you you get a blinking, still processing message, um, particularly when Nebraska drops drops back to pass. I still think for now, um, until we see a little bit more from, from McCaffrey, that Martinez is a little bit better thrower, but if he's not seeing those plays the way they need to be seen and, and McCaffrey can, if he can take what the offense provides, can you really afford not to give him a try? And, and for what it's worth, um, you know, the, the circumstances between when Adrian has been behind center and when McCaffrey has are certainly different. Uh, McCaffrey's 16 for 21 this season, 67.2%. The balls that he's thrown don't look perfect, um, but the majority of them gotten there. And again, it comes down to if you're seeing it better, if you're reading it better, and who, who cares if you have to kick it there? No, that's, that's illegal. You can't do that. But uh, who cares how it gets there as, as long as it gets there? We'll see. Um, we started this show with, with Frost talking about being just around the corner, which again, you know, we were hearing in 2019 that they haven't turned that corner yet is that further proof that maybe some sort of major shakeup, even if it's only for a game or two is, is necessary. And I think those are the like big existential questions that, that Nebraska football is facing this week as it prepares for Penn state. Third on the list, um, I hesitated to to even go into this. It's been so well covered in the aftermath of, of Northwestern, but oh, those red zone woes. Um, I talk a lot on this show and, and just in my writing in general about points per trip inside the 40. If you've listened to all of the episodes, I already gave you a description of that, but for any new listeners, like, that's a, that's a Bill Connolly stat. You, you move out to the 40 because it's effectively more telling. Inside the 20, you should at worst be able to, to get a field goal. So, so red zone scoring, red zone scoring efficiency, um, those things are a, a little bit like 
counting how often you, you make or miss layups to, to a degree, go out to the 40 and that's, that's a drive has to include a first down inside the 40. You can't be fourth and one at the 39 and, and have that count as a scoring opportunity, but teams are expected. So, so an average team should score about four, four points per trip inside the 40. Um, you do that. You're happy more than that's great. Lower than that is trouble. Nebraska had eight trips inside the 40 last week against Northwestern and came away with 13 points. If it's simply average, if it simply averages four points per trip, that's 32 points in a game where the team to beat you scored 21. Even if you only manage a field goal per trip, um, three points and, you know, get to that three three point average, however you want, score a touchdown, miss a field goal or two, whatever it takes. Three points is the average. You're still at 24 against this team that scored 21. So you can zoom in further than that. And I I don't typically like to, but, but for this case, I will, because I feel it's interesting. Um, Zoom in strictly to the red zone and man, there's, there's kind of a clear divide for, for Nebraska. It was a struggle on Saturday, but for the Frost era overall, Nebraska runs the ball just fine in the red zone. It has a 53.2% success rate on 201 rushes since, since 2018. You'll take that all day. Passing the ball, however, has been a disaster. Nebraska has a 41% completion percentage on red zone passes over the past three seasons. Um, and it's averaging two yards per pass. That's that's not not going to get it done on on any front. So far in 2020, teams are averaging uh, about 53% completion on, on on passing plays in the red zone. So it does indeed get tougher down there. And there's obviously not a ton of yards available. So you can bring that that yards per pass number down from what you'd normally expect for just open play but an average offense hits for about four yards per pass and, and Nebraska's at half of that. How do, how do you fix that? I don't know if you do that in a week. This I'm afraid is a talent thing. Even with Morgan Stanley Morgan jr. And, and JD Spielman in 2018, Nebraska's red zone passing numbers were troubling and it's steadily, steadily gotten worse from there. This offense can scheme receivers open when it has enough field to work with. We see it all the time. And I think that's related to, to point number two about Martinez struggling to, to see things, to take what's there. But that gets harder to do the closer you get to the end zone. Down there, you need receivers that can, that, that can win one-on-one. And then you need a QB making quick decisions. Neither is the case for Nebraska right now. Would some new blood help a wide receiver? At this point, I think it's worth a shot. And, and the tone of the week in Lincoln was open competition week. Right now, it's too easy for defenses to gear up against the run in the red zone and feel confident that its corners and safeties will just win against Nebraska's pass catchers most of the time. That's not something you fix in a week. Maryland scored touchdowns, passes of 34, 62, and 42 yards last week. But suddenly finding a downfield passing game for NU seems like an even bigger ask than having better success in the rest in the red zone. It almost literally can't be worse than last week. So, so that's the good news kind of takes us back full circle to 
why Nebraska rose in the SP plus rankings despite a loss. It's because if you, if you make it to the red zone six times or just inside the 48 times, you're not going to score 13 points very often. Nebraska is going to need, I think all of the points it can get on Saturday. This is an own three Penn state team, but it's still a dangerous Penn state team. And in a lot of ways, like I don't typically like this, this view of, of football in general, but particularly Nebraska football in general, because it's become relatively common of late, the, well, don't beat yourself point of view, but Nebraska keeps doing that. <laughs> it keeps finding unique and unlikely ways to, to lose rather than win. And it probably, it probably paints a more negative picture of, of where Nebraska is at right now than where it actually is. But this game feels like a total, it's a little bit of a mess. We don't know where Penn State is coming in mindset-wise. Nebraska, it seems like, is is not in a great place um, just with how it lost to, to Northwestern. And it feels like it's it's been there fairly often. And we keep waiting for the response. We keep waiting for the bounce back. We keep waiting for the we're not just around the corner. We've turned it. And it's because we've decided to, to, to turn it. This is, this is no longer going to be the case. And football is a tough game. It's tough to exercise that much control over it, but here we are. And, uh, we'll see what the Huskers can do on Saturday against a, a Penn state team that is nowhere near the, the, the favorite we would have thought it would have been even five, six, seven months ago. So it's an opportunity. That's all you can ask for. It's all Nebraska did ask for. And it's, it's kind of fight to get things back, back on the field of play. So here it is. Let's see what happens. That'll wrap us for episode four of the IAD preview podcast. If you, if you like the show, please, please subscribe, give it a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. I mentioned this at the end of the show last week, but if you want to get in touch, there is an email associated with the show. It's I 80 at hailvarsity.com. Please send any questions, comments, feedback, hate mail, whatever you may have to, to that address. Or you can reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Brandon L as in Leo Vogel, V O G E L. Um, you can find me there. Always happy to, to talk some football that way. We've got a ton of podcasts this week on on the Hale Varsity Network. Well, that's true of, of, of every week, to, to be completely honest. Um, great conversation between Greg Smith and Jay Foreman on Nebraska's quarterback situation. Jay Moore, uh, former former black shirt, did a did a really good deep dive on, on Nebraska's red zone numbers um, from a from a former player's perspective on the More To It podcast. Aaron and Sasha are always great on uh, the Mind Your Own podcast. And then Derek does does great work each week with the Varsity Club podcast, which is kind of the last one to go on, on Friday before game day. So check all of those out as you have time. Also, Jacob Jacob Padilla and former Husker Damon Bidding. We're, we're winding down the high school football season 
here in Nebraska and they have you covered. Like those guys know prep sports in Nebraska, but particularly prep football as, as well as anyone. So if you're a, a fan of high school football, which who isn't, uh, and, and want a quick way to catch up on, on Friday nights, they do a live Facebook show each night and that's available as a podcast as well. So check out all of, all of those things. Subscribe to Hale Varsity. November issue is is hitting soon, and I'm I'm pretty excited about that. So it'll be good. A Huda Media Production.